live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor in your window, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Libertarian Bruno Barron, Libertarian Eric Cohn, Democrat Mark Casello, and Republican Jeannie Ives. Our program tonight coming to you from my own base at WCGO in Evanston, Illinois. Nice to have you with us this evening. 1-800-723-8029 is the phone number. Uh, we're wide open for discussion for the next two hours. 1-800-723-8289. And uh, we're going to begin our broadcast uh, this week, uh, something a little bit different. We don't have people that are, at least at the moment, pitted against each other, although they're going to disagree on some points. We have two libertarians that are going to join us uh, to uh, begin the discussion this week, and then we're going to move to uh, a partisan Republican and a partisan Democrat, or at least a partisan liberal and a partisan conservative in hour number two. But I want to begin. uh, Bruno Barron and Eric Cohn both joins us. They are both uh, libertarians. And uh, Bruno, I'm going to start with you because uh, uh, where are you on whether or not you're going to vote for Donald Trump or not? Um. I guess the best way to put it, first of all, I'm a resident of Illinois, so your listeners know that my vote for Donald Trump has absolutely no impact one one way or another, a vote against him or a vote for a libertarian. Uh, in the last election, I voted for Gary Johnson, um, not really because I agreed with him that much, but because that was just the best thing to do when you consider Trump and Hillary being the candidate. Mm-hmm. I will say that this time... Um, even though I'm not going to vote for Trump, probably, because I doesn't do anything, I think I may actually volunteer for a Republican campaign or Republican Party uh, where I will do work for them uh, from my phone in a state like Michigan or Wisconsin. Um, I think, uh, you know, this is this is not really an endorsement of Trump per se, but this is an endorsement that the uh, the Democratic Party, as it is currently situated, does not deserve one more iota of power. And it isn't even so much the horrible policy in terms of the actual policies they're promoting. It's the actual um, complete crushing of any and all dissent, completely going off the rails okay. at anyone who disagrees with them all and right. their attack on free speech. Let's let's get Eric Cohn, also a libertarian, who uh, I ask the same question, Eric. I as well. Uh, I'm a resident of Illinois, so my vote really doesn't matter all that much. I've never invested a whole lot of meaning in all of that. I can't in good conscience vote for Trump or for Biden. I'm not inclined to vote for Joe Jorgensen, the libertarian nominee either. I imagine I will probably not vote for anyone, not finding uh, or maybe just Kanye West just for fun. I can't remember if he's on the ballot here in Illinois. He's not. Uh, uh, He's not. So I don't even have that opportunity for some self-entertainment in all of this. But I, I... I appreciate Bruno's answer there because he just perfectly encapsulates what I find so such the crushing morosity of our current circumstances that our polarization is primarily negative in that there is no real ringing endorsement of the Republican Party or the Republican cause. And what Bruno said there is the other guys are so bad. And this kind of negative polarization is a huge part of what is really causing a lot of trouble in this country and tearing people apart. So you do not believe that this is the most important election ever? We hear that every single election cycle. No, I don't think it was true the last time I heard it. I don't think it's true this time, and it's probably not going to be true the next time. And honestly, I'd really like to know— 
What about you? Well, it, I, I agree with you. We hear it every four years, but we, we seem to be hearing it with a greater sense of at least intensity than previous years. Well, it's a very good point. And the answer is, I don't know. We don't know. Um, was Kennedy versus Nixon the most important ele- election ever? Uh, we all suffer no. from our specific bias. You know, could have been Reagan versus Carter. Uh, we, we, every single one of us suffers from our own bias and our own bias is always going to lead us to say, no, this time, this time it really matters. Um, when in fact, maybe it didn't, you know, I, I think you could take, uh, Obama versus Romney and say, well, that one wasn't very important. Um, Obama versus McCain, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but I will, I will make the, you know, I will lean slightly in favor of the case that this is a pretty important one. Um, and it, it and it's not just because, you know, Trump is wonderful and he's the only person who can save America and all of his fans who actually think that kind of stuff. But I will continue to make the case and you'll hear me say it a lot tonight. Um, today's left is, in my opinion, exceedingly dangerous. We're going to come back to that topic in just a moment. But I want to ask Eric Cohen, Eric, do you believe that the Supreme Court nominee should be voted on before the election? Yes, I think the. What could happen from voting on a nominee after the election in a lame duck Congress is going to be more damaging than anything that could come from voting on the nominee before. And I think the momentum seems to suggest that they are going to vote before the election. Explain that. Explain why it's worse afterwards. Because you're going to if you assume that the most what seems like the most likely outcome of the election, which is Joe Biden wins voting to confirm the nominee after the American people have weighed in on that and given a rebuke to Trump is a really bad look and I think has the possibility of tearing people apart even more than we're tearing ourselves apart right now. Bruno, your your take on the vote, should it be before the election? Uh, yeah, I think it should be before the election. Um, we, we have uh, all manners of hypocrisy. Every single Democrat and every single Republican I have heard talk about this has had two different positions on this in the last uh, four years just based upon party and timing. So everyone has been hypocritical on this. I think presidents should get their vote. And if it's not unconstitutional and if there's no dirty tricks, vote on the judges. Let let me go even further. I don't just think it should happen before the election. I think it should happen tomorrow. The modern confirmation hearings are an absolute farce. They do not produce anything really of meaning or of value. They should just put the nomination on the floor and they should vote. We're completely in agreement on that. And I would agree because everybody pretty much knows where they're going to go. And I think uh, one thing that nobody talks about, and they never do, uh, because it's a little ghoulish to do so. I mean, you have a, a lot of Republicans who have said they're going to support this nominee and, and they're gentlemen of, of advanced age for the most part. We don't know whether they're all going to be alive in the next two months or next two days. They, 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 have, they don't have a lot of wiggle room. Uh, well, that and... There's, I think we're all in agreement that there's no real reason to delay. You know, I don't know what there, there's probably all kinds of deep polling data that says what should we do and what can we do. But you know, when you when you sift through all that stuff, it's pretty cut and dried. You've got a few months left in the election. You have an unknown outcome. Uh, you've got the Senate and you've got the power to make a nomination. So why not use it? Yeah, the history here is actually very clear that in election years, there have been nominees that have been come up that have been put up in election years 
When the presidency and the Senate are controlled by the same party, they're confirmed. When they're controlled by different parties, they're not confirmed. Yeah. And I think the, really the only thing, looking back four years ago, because that's the immediate comparison, the only thing we have to argue about was, was the better thing to do to just give Merrick Garland a vote and vote him down, right. rather than to deny him hearings and a vote at all, even though that is completely within the Senate's prerogative advice and consent is to just not consider a nomination. There are plenty of examples of that happening in the past. See, what's interesting about being on the show with Eric today is that you know, for whatever disagreements we may have on various things, we basically see all of this exactly the same way. My position has always been uh, that, you know, that McConnell and the Republicans kind of won ugly in uh, in, 20, yeah. in in 2016 by yeah. simply stonewalling. Um, I always thought that there should have been hearings and a vote. Um, and it would it have was, been very difficult for them to vote down right. because I think Obama picked Garland because he was so milquetoast it was, and moderate. It was a high wire act that paid off for Mitch McConnell. Yes. yes, right. And again, I think it was it was politically not it was politically not a good move for him, even though strategically for what he wanted, uh, he played it right. And and uh, as people have suggested, uh, don't ever bet against uh, Mitch McConnell when it comes to voting because he's a master at it. One eight hundred seven two three eighty twenty nine. I'm Bruce Dumont. Back shortly. For some, news is about their opinions. We believe the news should give you the facts without bias, so you can form your own. We believe in news, not talk. Facts, not opinions. News Nation is on every night at 7 p.m. on WGN America to give you the information you need. Everyone calls it the news, but we'll actually deliver on it seven nights a week in primetime. Find your local channel by going to WGNAmerica.com. News Nation. It's your news, your nation. We are the boy band. Your tween made you see. We are the boy band. It's painful concert number three. We are the boy band. We're five and nineteen. We are the boy band. Always singing on key. You love your kids enough to take them to see their favorite uh, band. Love them enough to make sure they're buckled up in the back seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back in Evanston, Illinois. You're listening to Beyond the Beltway. Thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, Eric, you were talking about uh, whether the Senate votes before or after the election, and you were making the point that if Joe Biden wins uh, the presidency, it's going to be difficult for existing U.S. senators at that moment uh, to to maybe vote on it because it will be viewed as, as going against what the voters want. Um I would argue that in some cases uh, it might be easier for them to vote at that point because at the moment we know that that politicians are generally not profiles in courage. If they have to put up or shut up now, their voters are going to know exactly where they stand. But if they get through election and they are successful, they've got six years to mop things up and it would be easier for them to cast a vote for or against the nominee after the election. When they're when they're lame ducks, uh, p- potentially yes. I, I just don't see the logic of them voting now actually hurting them all of that much because I see, particularly okay. for Republican nominees, 
if they vote against Barrett's confirmation, it hurts them way more with their base voters and causes them more trouble that way than I think it does with moderate voters, who I think are going to go their way irrespective of this particular vote. Even for a Susan Collins, somebody like that? Uh, Susan Collins, I think, is a different case, given her Uh history and all of that, that she's more likely to be able to say, no, I'm not going to do it, and conservatives just need to stuff it. But for the most part, people in far more competitive states, like a Cory Gardner, for instance, he needs people who are Republican voters to turn out if he's going to win that. And if he just decides that he's not going to vote to confirm a justice to the Supreme Court, uh, I think that's going to cost him way more than a vote for him to confirm. My concern is way more about what it does to us as a nation not whether or not the uh, it would be a confirmation vote or voting down after the election. I think voting after the election has a much greater toll on us as a body politic than if they, the vote comes before the election. Uh, Bruno, let's, let's spend a few moments talking about what's going to happen to this country after the election. And we, we can role play it whether Donald Trump wins or Donald Trump loses. But, I mean, first of all, there's the issue which I think the media tends to make a mountain out of a molehill on as to whether or not he would really uh, accept the results and and move on uh, and Joe Biden would take over. I I frankly don't think there's any doubt of that. Uh, He he flippantly said something and he sent the news media and Democrats into hysteria for almost 10 days now. So Something he does better than anybody else. He knows how to change the subject. But my question to you is if Donald Trump – Let's say Donald Trump wins. Mm-hmm. What do you think happens to the anger, the the frustration, the street demonstrations, the street rioting? What happens to the to the to the country if Donald Trump wins re-election? Um, I think there will be a very short-term temper tantrum, and there's going to be some people protesting and screaming at the sky and. You know, renting their their clothing and stomping their feet and, you know, putting their hands over their ears and going blah, 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 blah. Um, that's what the left is very good at now. I actually think Riot? we— Does that include rioting? Um, I think you'll, you know, I think you'll see some looting and rioting. We don't, you'll, we don't really know. Maybe, maybe people just take a deep breath and say, well, you know, that was, uh, that was that. But I would expect that with all the, with all the energy behind protesting and rioting right now, there's going to be a little bit of protesting and rioting if Trump wins. And it, it, so, it sounds to me like, you know, Eric is a little bit more like Biden has the edge. Um, I tend to think that that's, that might be true. It could be true. But I actually think in, in incumbency is harder to beat. I think Trump has a little bit of the edge. Um, we don't know what's going to happen. But let's just say Trump wins. Um, in a comparison, I think you're going to have a short term, a little bit of looting, a little bit of rioting, um, some, you know, foot stomping. I think the biggest danger in terms of violence and looting and protesting is if Biden wins, because I look at the left right now and um, there's, there's all kinds of resistance from, you know, suburbanites and people, they don't want to see their homes uh, wrecked. They don't want to see the Portland Portland protesters leaving the streets of Portland and going into the residential neighborhoods and demanding that they um, put up or shut up. But what, if Biden wins, and this goes to the different theories about whether or not Biden is actually a candidate, whether he's actually a, a person who wants to run a country, or whether he is, and this is my opinion, essentially a paper cutout put in place long enough to pretend that the Democratic Party is still moderate or that Joe Biden is going to be Barack Obama's third term. Just in terms of policy, Joe Biden looks nothing like Barack Obama's third term. But in terms of the, the, the cultural pressure and the cultural left 
and how off the charts they are. I think that the moment Joe Biden is president, you're going to see Antifa, BLM and the people that are behind all of these uh, very, very well thought out and, and very, very sophisticated um, Alinskyite, you know, strategies. They're going to start rioting in suburban areas. They're going to start rioting in residential okay. areas. They're going to start putting get... the pressure on the, not the right. They're going to start putting the pressure on the left and the left, the the moderate left. What's left of the moderate left will capitulate to the hard left so fast you won't okay. even see what's coming. All right, that was a long answer. So we're going to give you the uh, not the same amount, Eric. But it's fine. <laughs> Pick there's any one a, of those arguments apart. Uh, there's a lot there. Yes. Um, uh, let me say first that the. Donald Trump saying what he said in response to the reporter asking if he would accept the outcome of the election. I don't think there's a chance that he decides he's not going to leave the White House. But what's problematic about that is the answer to the question, as um, strangely asked as it was, the answer is yes. And it doesn't do any good for anyone, him, the country, anybody, for him to give an answer to that question other than, yes, he, peaceful, he accepts the peaceful transition of power if he loses. Agree. Um, yes. So yes. I, I think it, it is worth stating that, that it's not just his flippancy, um, but it is the things that he does. His tweeting is an example of this that drives people crazy. I, to, to Bruno's point about what he thinks will happen given the possible outcomes of the election – I think it gets worse, but it gets worse in different ways depending on who wins. I don't find the uh, logic that I think Bruno attempted to lay it out of how if Biden wins, the rioting gets worse to follow at all. Um, but I do think that those elements will be emboldened in some sense. I don't disagree with that. But if Trump wins, this suggestion that Bruno seemed to make, or maybe not, and I'll let him clarify, that it, there'll just be a little outburst and then it's going to go away, I just think is ridiculous. It has been escalating over four years. And Donald Trump's whole thing and that you hear from his defenders is that, you know, oh, he, he trolls people, he makes them mad. And then we act shocked that people are mad and angry. And he's going to continue to do that mm -hmm. with reckless abandonment. Right. over the next four years if he wins re-election. It will get worse if he wins. It will get worse if Biden wins, but just in a different way. Uh, that may be true. Um, I, again, we're, we're playing with, I think both Eric and I agree that the whole nation and quite frankly, the whole, all the entire West is a little bit in uncharted waters here. Um, so it's fair to say to take a step back and and say, well, these are various things that could happen. And I think Eric makes a very strong case that, uh, you know, given Trump's personality. But it's also like, a, it, I think there's also a level of cathartic, like, okay, well, we had the big fight and Trump won. And, you know, he he's probably going to continue trolling and, and there are going to be things. But let, let's also back up and say that this George Floyd thing that started the riots First of all, the riots were a the, the the level of the riots and the level of rioting and 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 uh, and protesting was a function of being pent up for a few months based on COVID. So I don't think the riots happen as strongly as they did absent COVID. I think COVID is something that was a entirely out of left field occurrence. That but I but I also think that the the percentage because it was very high mm -hmm. in those early days or weeks uh, where you had a, a, a lot of white America outraged. Yes. It it was a legitimate call for justice, which, which they saw, they thought was injustice. Yes. And that's why the it was overwhelming the way in which corporate America and everybody responded. But then when, when the street demonstrations turned to street riots and looting, 
they they meaning the the BLM pro, uh, organizers they lost control of their movement. Well, yeah, that and and let's also you know in in neither of us are big fans of Donald Trump, but 36 hours or 24 hours after the George Floyd event, Trump put forward a, a very very decent comment saying that this shouldn't happen. This was a travesty. This was a tragedy. So that very quickly disappeared from the radar. And then everybody, you know, which is one of the things that's driven me crazy is that these riots have anything at all to do with Donald Trump being at fault is is absolute nonsense. Could could Donald Trump have maybe um, put some salve on the wounds and, and talked a little bit differently? Well, of course, that's the case. And of course, that's not in his personality. But these cops doing what they're doing are doing all these things in deep blue cities that have been run and managed by people like Amy Klobuchar letting this cop off uh, a whole bunch of times, the cop who killed George Floyd. Uh, These, you know, the schools that that are bad, the things that are causing problems for um, African-Americans and the poor and the disadvantaged in this country are all things that are part of the blue church that they believe in, that they demand, and then to sit there and say, oh, well, Donald Trump is at fault for this, I, I just think that's nonsense. It, it isn't nonsense that Donald Trump is not at fault for it, but you, know, it, you go back again to the problems that Trump, in his character, mm-hmm. makes these things worse because he can say one thing in one moment that is seemingly presidential, and by the next moment, he is tweeting something out that is completely unpresidential. And that is... You know, it, that is what people have bought in you know, four years ago. Basically, the American people decided that uh, they kind of had an idea of what Hillary Clinton might be like. And they looked at Donald Trump and thought, well, I'm going to buy that ticket and take that ride. I, I just don't know how much uh, as as a polity we are better off for it. And I'm I'm seed the arguments that people on the right make about the good policy outcomes that have come with this. But I think Donald Trump, I've always said this, that Donald Trump is not the cause of our problems. He is a symptom of our problems and he is making our problems worse. And if more people could acknowledge that last part, I think it would be a very, very helpful. Let's find out if there's anybody out there that agrees with that. 1-800-723-8029. 1-800-723-8029. When we come back, we've got callers on the line. And we're also going to be talking about today's New York Times. They now have Donald Trump's income tax records. And they're going to talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. And when we come back, we'll talk about it. I'm Bruce Dumont. Opinions are everywhere when you watch the news. But what about your opinion? Why can't you just get the facts to decide for yourself? News Nation is on every night at 7 p.m. on WGN America, a nightly newscast in primetime that doesn't tell you what to think. Seven nights a week, News Nation will deliver you news, not talk. Facts, not opinions. Find your local channel by going to WGNAmerica.com. It's your news, your nation. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway, wherever you're listening from coast to coast and border to border. We're here every Sunday night. We have been on the air now for, we're in our 40th year. 
Uh, we've got a few more shows to do before the election, and uh, we're talking at least with some libertarians right now to talk about what is likely to happen uh, after the election. And uh, we'll be taking some calls in just a second. And also a reminder that uh, after the top of the hour, we're going to be joined by Jeannie Ives. She is a conservative Republican. She is running for Congress uh, in the suburban Chicagoland area. And Mark Casello, who is a frequent guest on this program, a professor, a liberal professor. I guess that's a little redundant, but he will be here uh, to uh, offer some differing opinions on the future of the country. Let's take a moment now and let our in-studio guests, and I thank them very much for joining us here in Evanston, Illinois, uh, to take a moment and introduce themselves. And we'll begin with Eric Cohen. Along with Joe Kaiser, I host uh, Sources with Knowledge, which airs on News Talk 560, The Answer in Chicagoland, Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. And then again, Sundays at 3 p.m. You can look us up and wherever you find Find podcasts, just search Sources with Knowledge. And for my day job, I am Director of Communications at the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty, which is based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. And Bruno Berend. Uh, I am uh, a longtime guest on this show. I guess I started off um, doing all kinds of policy work with the Heartland Institute. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been working uh, on and off with, uh, with Heartland um, as staff uh, since the mid 80s or late 80s. I uh, have a law degree. I've had a radio show for a while. I'm currently the senior fellow for education issues for the Heartland Institute. I spend most of my time uh, when I'm working with Heartland or doing something with them uh, discussing uh, education reform and those uh, kinds of things. And then for uh, for the time being, it, uh, based on the uh, way things broke for me, I'm essentially um, working with an organization very similar to Habitat for Humanity where we're trying to flip a town um, from 70-30 renters to 70-30 home ownership. Uh, up in the north uh, side, of, uh, north area of Chicago, North Chicago, if you're familiar with it. Okay. And uh, we should mention that uh, uh, Bruno is a prodigious uh, uh, poster of his Facebook opinions, and uh, which I find very interesting. And uh, if someone is a guest on this program and you've heard them, uh, we have invited them to offer their Facebook posts and any essays that they present uh, to our Beyond the Beltway fan page. And if you are not yet a Beyond the Beltway fan, you can go to Beyond the Beltway fan and ask to be a friend this evening, and we will add you to the list. And that means that uh, future comments by either of our guests, you can read them uh, there. We're, we're... Do you accept podcast episodes as well? Uh, no, we haven't got to that yet. Okay. But, perha- but, right. perha- but perhaps we will. Uh, let us now go to our guests. Uh, before we get to the New York Times, we do have a caller, a, c- a couple of callers that have been waiting quite some time. Let's head west to Carmel, California. Mark Carbonaro. I think it's Mark. Mark Carbonaro. Is it Mark Carbonaro? Mark, are you there? Line two? Is line two there? Brian in Roselle. Who who is this? No, Bruce. Who is this? Bruce, this is Mark from Carmel, California. Okay, but you're not the Mark Carbonaro, so I've made the same mistake two weeks in a row. Go ahead with your question. Right, he, he's, he's a good friend of mine. Listen, I just wanted to make a brief point that you didn't touch on, um, and congratulations, I love these uh, two guests, because frankly, they sound far more like the conservative mindset that I have than anything the Democrats are putting out there right now, because I'm frankly a conservative with a, with a uh, libertarian bent. Okay. But good. the most important aspect regarding uh, the immediate vote regarding the Supreme Court would be that it's going to be adjudicated, the election is going to be adjudicated in the courts. It's going to go to the court, and we want somebody 
we want that ninth member in there to help us out because if it's a four-four court, it's going to be a mess. But we don't know. So I think we, we should have that. But but let's be clear here. That is your projection. We don't know definitely that this decision is going to go to the courts. We don't know that. We, we don't know it for sure, but there uh, does seem very likely that there's some kind of litigation coming from some state that is going to have problems with mail-in ballots. That seems very, very likely to me. I think it is important to point out two things here. One, first, that uh, if there's a 4-4 split in the Supreme Court, then the lower court opinion stands. Um, so it's not as if everything just all of a sudden comes to a complete halt. Who would, and, that, who would that favor? I don't know. It depends on the jurisdiction. We don't know. It depends on where it's filed. It depends on how it's decided. Exactly. Also, it's worth pointing out that the split right now of the eight justices is, you know, if you want to go by how we generally associate them, it's not 4-4, it's 5-3. So the likelihood that they would have a split opinion doesn't seem all that likely to me. Um, So it's not that it's not a concern. It it definitely is better to have nine justices. But also, Donald Trump would help himself a lot if he didn't try to make this case himself, where it's like, you know, the election could go to the courts. We want to have that ninth person on the court, which he has said it doesn't really wear well on him to make a case like that, because it sounds like I need to get my person on there. So they decided for me. Well, what I think is interesting about because Eric has said this a few times now, and um, and we I think he and I have very, very similar viewpoints come from very, very similar directions directions on a lot of this stuff. And I would be willing to bet that on election night 2016, we both thought, or the day before or the week before, we both thought that Donald Trump's chances of winning were next to nothing. And, 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 you know, what I think is interesting about Trump, and I don't find him a very smart policy guy, and I don't find him a very endearing personality at all. I, I will say, and I've said this on your show before, Bruce, the guy is a bit of a savant in manipulating and and, and and reading the tea leaves of the people. And I think he does better than anybody expects most times out, yes. independent of the fact that very, very big brains like Eric, and uh, I'll put myself in that, in that, uh, in that, uh, you know, th- that spot too, who have been thinking about these kind of political things. And like you who have been following this stuff a long time, we've been so busy following this stuff a long time that we look at somebody like Trump and say, oh, that, that can't possibly work. And that, and he doesn't help himself. And Trump has been helping himself since he got in trouble with his first divorce in the in the mid '80s. Um, he's not a very decent person. He's not a very nice person. But I think he sees things that other people don't see. So I think it's so easy for people to count him out for all of the hilariously bad mistakes he's made and dangerously bad mistakes in other cases. And he just keeps on pulling rabbits out of the hat. So no. he's well, not I've, somebody I'm betting hey, against Bruce, anymore. One last yes. comment, if Go I'm ahead. still up. Yes, Mark. Yes. Okay, so Donald Trump is uh, this ge- this century's P.T. Barnum, and they only come around once a century. Mm-hmm. And to 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 echo what he just said, he's he's kind of an idiot savant in a way, but he knows media, he knows people, he knows real estate, he knows business, and it's a very unusual mix that made this special animal that is Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And I can't say that I, I like it, a lot of the things that comes out of his mm-hmm. mouth. I wish he'd stop tweeting. I wish he'd stop doing this. I wish he'd stop <laughs> doing that. But mm-hmm. I do like what he has done so far policy-wise. Mm-hmm. He's done a whole lot under duress for the last three right. years. Okay. We're going to uh, – I want to move on to another caller, but let me just let me just make a point is that, uh, you know, obviously uh, the, the tremendous historic victory of four years ago 
uh, really shocked the political world. It, it was a historic matter. Next week on this program, one of our guests is going to be Corey Lewandowski, who was the campaign manager. And, and something that I'm going to ask Corey, because in my view, if Donald Trump gets reelected, that's going to be a bigger story than what happened in 2016. I think to me, it will be a bigger surprise because of the fact that he's had uh, the Democrats and the news media, the mainstream news media, against him for, for day one. He has a large portion, or at least a portion, of uh, Republicans, now called never-Trumpers, that have been against him. Every day you pick up, if there isn't a new book that's coming out about him, uh, there's uh, there's some expose, including what's in the New York Times, which we will get to in just a moment after we take this call from Brian, who's listening to us in Roselle, Illinois. Go ahead, Brian. Hello, good evening. Hi. You hear me, right? Yes. Yeah, uh, well... Everybody's, you know, uh, speculating on the future. I think Donald Trump is going to lose. And uh, Trump is a very desperate man because he knows if he loses, he's ruined. And he is a criminal. Anybody with half a brain knows that. He's committed tons of tax fraud, uh, probably money laundering. He's in bed big time with the Russian oligarchs. It's the only thing that makes sense. And uh, so Donald Trump will I don't lose. Know he will be fully exposed. Well, he will be fully exposed as the criminal that he is, so even the dumbest Republican can figure it out. And the Republican Party is going to be banished to the wilderness like it was when Goldwater lost. All this, you know, this decades-long march they've been on for power is going to just collapse to ruin. And it's going to be, in a figurative sense, there's going to be a... Banished to the wilderness after Goldwater lost, you mean like in 1968 when Richard Nixon won and then won in an even bigger (laughs) victory? I mean, that's just, that's even, not even historically correct. I'm talking about the conservative conservative movement. Richard Nixon wasn't a conservative. Correct. And then then in 1980, you have Ronald Reagan and you have 12 uninterrupted (laughs) years of uh, Republicans owning the White House. I just... and, and then right. Bill this is Clinton. 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 One, second. Uh, one second. Thanks very much. We're going to hey. go. Bruno, Bruno responded. Well, Thank you for a, caller. Well, I appreciate the caller's sentiment, and I, I try. I, I, I try on Facebook, which has basically been the extension of my radio show when I had one, to cultivate progressives and liberals to comment and debate with me. So you can look me up uh, on Facebook, uh, Brian, <laughs> and friend me if you want, and I'd be happy to take this stuff up with you. Um, look, uh one of the problems, and I think Eric has pointed this out pretty well, is that both sides essentially are living in two different worlds. Um, the left is living in a world where Donald Trump is in Putin's pocket, despite the fact that there's pretty clear evidence that, that this was a hit, uh, the whole thing was a hit investigation against him, abuse of power by the Obama administration. And the conservatives think that Donald Trump can do no wrong and that he's going to win in a landslide and that and that Hillary was going to go to jail and, and Hillary's emails and Benghazi. And it, it's like both sides are living in the nonsense worlds instead of looking into the center and seeing where we might be able to fix some problems. When we come back, I want to hear from both sides, but certainly I want to hear from uh, you, Eric, about uh, whether or not the revelations of this past week... Uh, Will those messages about the FBI, will they get through to any independent, undecided voter? Back shortly. 
You should form your own opinions when you're presented facts without bias. That's what we call news. Every night at 7 p.m. on WGN America, news has a new primetime home. News Nation. Without all the talk and without an opinion, so you can make yours. It's not how it used to be. It's how it should be. News Nation. Seven nights a week on WGN America. Find your local channel by going to WGNAmerica.com. Because it's your news, your nation. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. Ugh, what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom! Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Bustelot back, and uh, we continue. We've uh, waited a long time, and uh, we're going to talk about this in hour number two. But uh, what is your reaction, uh, Bruno, to uh, the New York Times story today? They, they've discovered uh, Donald Trump uh, tax returns uh, for the last umpteen years, and uh, they say he hasn't been paying many taxes, much in taxes. I don't – this is going to be like every other story that the New York Times tries to break. I don't think it's going to mean that much. I, I think the worst thing it could possibly mean for Donald Trump is that people find out that he's not as rich as he says he is, which might be the case. Uh, I think that's why he's been hiding them for so long, not because of any crime or anything like that. Um, I was bringing this up back in the 2015, 2016 time when everybody was talking about how he's a billionaire and he's so rich and he's so smart. He's like, how do we know he's so rich? He, he probably he's, It's probably lucky if he's a billionaire – by one billion, and if he is, so what? Uh, clearly, he's been successful enough as a businessman. But you know, the no, this is the thing that I think is going on with this election, and this is why we don't really know. But I don't think there's more than like five people in the country who are undecided. Um, they know how they're going to vote, and this is going to be based on turnout, and it's going to be based on who's really going to show up to vote uh, when push comes to shove, because. No, the New York Times isn't going to convince any conservative who's thinking about voting Republican that this is the thing that tears it for them mm-hmm. and that they're going to change their view. And it's the same thing about people who hate Donald Trump. Donald Trump could pull, you know, like some big uh, coup out of his hat with um, Kim Jong Un and and some peace deal. They, no one cares about that. That's not going to make them vote for Donald does any, Trump. Does anybody care about Hunter Biden in your view, Eric? No, not particularly, I don't think. And if they were going to have an opportunity to care about it, the Trump campaign dropped that whole story way too early for it to be very impactful on the election because we've essentially litigated all of that already. And we did so in the impeachment. And impeachment happened this year. Does anyone really remember that it was this <laughs> year that it happened? Yeah. Um, I, I think and Nancy both, may want to do it again. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> um I think the interesting point from what I've seen of the New York Times story already is, and and we're all in Illinois, and I think we know this better than most people, that what the corruption is not what's illegal. It's often what's legal. And I think what we're probably going to see in these tax returns is that Donald Trump was able to utilize the tax code as it exists by hiring a lot of expensive lawyers and accountants to reduce his tax burden to a level that makes people go, oh, my God, a guy that's that rich is paying that little in federal income taxes. And until somebody can demonstrate that he was doing it in by illegal means, then what we should take from the story is that the federal tax code is an absolute disaster. It should be scrapped in favor of something that is far more simple because complexity is a subsidy. 
And the complexity of the tax code is the kind of thing that benefits the wealthy and the powerful and screws the people who are in the middle class and who are poor. Another issue before we go uh, to a broader discussion in hour number two, uh, there was a verdict that came out of Louisville, Kentucky this week, uh, and it led to uh, violence in the streets or demonstrations that turned violent. Two police officers uh, were shot, fortunately not uh, critically. Uh, Your reaction uh, to the way in which the people responded to that and the way in which the Democrats have uh, played the issue? Well, I I don't know that... uh... Let's put it this way. I think the Democrats have learned a little bit of a lesson with how much they backed riots and backed chaos in Portland and Minneapolis and other places, uh, Seattle as well, that I think they were actually less crazy this week. Uh, And I, you know, based on all the things that I was reading, you you ended up with a kind of like Solomon-like, let's cut the baby in half decision because we can't go after these two cops who actually did the shooting because... They were justified in the way they looked at it. So we're going to go after this guy who fired wildly into another house. Um, and I did not follow as as much of the detail of the Breonna Taylor shooting as some other people did. So um, I looked at that verdict and said, boy, I can understand. I mean, we we live in such a strange time right now where everyone is so emotionally charged with uh, the, the, the way things are breaking that you have to literally step back and read like 10 or 15 articles from five or six different this, viewpoints to even make sense of it. This is another case where we are not well served by everybody's seeming insanity right. and un- inability to look at things with a calm and reasoned mind. What happened in the Brianna, Brianna Taylor case is a tragedy. And I mean that in the true sense, mm-hmm. in that somebody is dead. And if you follow the actual letter of the law, nobody really did anything wrong. Um, so the, you have this no-knock warrant that they were executing, and they say that they announce themselves. But the way that these things often happen is it's knock, announce, battering ram. Yeah. And at 2.30 in the morning, you know, you're going to be alarmed and get out of bed. You had a legal gun owner who gets up and starts shooting at the people coming into his apartment, and he doesn't know who they are and didn't know they were cops. Yeah. David French had a really great piece of the dispatch pointing out that you have this tension right now between Castle Doctrine that if somebody's coming into your home and you're a legal gun owner, you can return fire, and these no-knock warrants. And until we sort that part of it out, nothing good is going to come of this. And I will take my—I'm uh, obliged as a libertarian to point out here that all of this flowing from the war on drugs is just another point in favor of why the war on drugs is a disaster. It should be ended immediately. And there was—it's not that it's going to be utopia when the war on drugs is ended. There will be bad things that yes. happen, too, but there will be less of this kind of stuff happening, and I think we should all want that. Should yeah there be a greater responsibility on the part of both parties as well as the media to educate the public when it comes to matters like this and not just pick up a narrative that happens to be friendly to your there, poli- political space uh, and, 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 expl- and explain that that uh, that when you have a grand jury grand jury is secret Bruno yeah, and I have both. You can't, you can't release that to the public, Bruno, and you've got thousands of people clamoring it to be released. Bruno and I have both been on political campaigns, and we know that politics is not the realm in which you educate people. Yeah. The responsibility of the media to be clear about all of this is where it should happen, and the fact that they are so often not, and it's only people that I read like David French who are doing a good job of explaining the tension that exists here, it, that's what should be in the New York Times. Yeah, but it's not going to be. I agree. 
agree, what they want. I'm at, I'm at no moment of, uh, I guess, agreement. We dis- we agree that we disagree on this point. No, we agree on this. Yeah, yeah. we agree on we this. Agree. The media sucks. Okay. <laughs> uh, when we return, uh, our guests for hour number one, they will be back because they were so good. And in hour number two, we're going to be hearing from Jeannie Ives. She is a conservative Republican. She's running for Congress from the suburban Chicagoland area. And we'll also hear from college professor Mark Casello. Liberal and Democrat, liberal and Republican, all coming in the second hour. For some, news is about their opinions. We believe the news should give you the facts without bias, so you can form your own. We believe in news, not talk. Facts, not opinions. News Nation is on every night at 7 p.m. on WGN America to give you the information you need. Everyone calls it the news, but we'll actually deliver on it. Seven nights a week in primetime. Find your local channel by going to WGNAmerica.com. News Nation. It's your news, your nation. Jill, why don't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling. We have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV... We're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win... We all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. 
Bruce Dumont back for hour number two of Beyond the Beltway, wherever you're listening from coast to coast and border to border. Nice to have you with us. Our phone line's open at 1-800-723-8289. Also, uh, uh, you can hop on uh, Facebook because we are live on Facebook and YouTube, and uh, we'll take uh, comments that are coming in uh, from there as well. Uh, we are now welcoming uh, to our broadcast for hour number two, uh, Jeannie Ives. She has been a frequent guest on this program. She is a former state representative. She is running for U.S. Congress against Sean Caston in suburban uh, uh, DuPage County and Cook County around Chicago in the western suburbs. And Mark Casello joins us. He is a English uh, professor at the uh, College of uh, St. Joseph, and uh, we thank you very much for uh, joining us. I think they're all there. Is everybody there? I just saw uh, Jeannie pop on the line, and now I don't see her. So, uh, was oh, she? I'm here. Okay, we're there. I just thought maybe you had been kidnapped by uh, Sean Caston. Uh, by the way, we should mention uh, Sean Caston is your opponent. He has been invited to be a guest on this program, and mm-hmm. he has not yet responded uh, to our inquiry. So for those that are wondering why we have one candidate and not the other, there's your, there's your answer. And again, I'm just saying to Andy, Andy, I am not seeing uh, Jeannie Ives anywhere on the screen here, so uh, I'm flying a little bit blind. But l- let me ask Jeannie this question. Jeannie, one of the things that Congress is working on now in the House is uh, what you know? What will be the new COVID nineteen uh, uh, assistance program for American citizens? Uh, the Democrats have a plan for it, but it doesn't seem uh, uh, that it's going very far in the Senate. So, uh, should you be elected uh, in November and you head to Congress uh, in January, uh, what would be your concern about taking care of people uh, insofar as financial support to fight COVID nineteen? Well, Bruce, to my understanding, the last bill that Nancy Pelosi passed out of her Democratic uh, Congress uh, was a $3 trillion massive spending bill at the end of May. Uh, since subsequently, they everything stalled after they put teed up a $3 trillion spending bill. Uh, and that bill was a, a massive bailout. I mean, nearly a trillion dollars were for state and local government bails out. And two thirds of that had nothing to do with COVID cases or unemployment or anything like that. They had, uh, they were bailing out student loans. They were uh, handing out checks to illegal immigrants. They were putting in universal bo- mail, mail-in voting. So it had a lot of stuff not related to COVID. Um, and so since, I mean, you, you've seen over the summer, things have just petered out. Uh, I think that there still are, the biggest stall again is bailing out bankrupt states and local, uh, mismanaged states and local ta- localities. In the state of Illinois, we know what that looks like. We know that looks like a massive bailout for Chicago and the state of Illinois, and that would be an immoral choice to be making because once you bail out a state like us, uh, Kentucky is next, Connecticut, New Jersey, and Illinois' debts will not be solved with even $42 billion in assistance from the the federal government. It may help fill some budget holes in the future. It will not solve our long-term debt problem. That needs massive reform. Mark Casella, let me ask you, you're not running for Congress, but again, I want you to weigh in on uh, the Democratic plan here. Uh, They want to bail out big states uh, that are in financial trouble. Uh, and that's a that's a portion of what they're asking for, and uh, they're surrounding that with some support for uh, uh, for those that need COVID support. Do you think that's uh, uh, do you think that's the way to handle it? Wouldn't it be wiser to just focus on the the problem at hand, which is Americans uh, mm-hmm. who are affected by COVID nineteen? 
Yeah, it, it does make some sense to maybe def, uh, defer that relief to the states until we get a better assessment of, of exactly. We know there's going to be massive budget shortfalls, but but maybe separate that out from the immediate relief uh, to the businesses and the individuals. Uh, the Paycheck Protection Act was vital, vital to small business, uh, keeping people employed, um, as well as that $600 addition to the unemployment Um uh, I was okay with the Republicans trying to taper that down. That seemed to make some sense if employment was coming back. But I don't see why we can't find common ground on this. Um, if we can get a Supreme Court nominee through in 30 days, I think we can take care of the American people. Jeannie Ives, are you in favor of uh, a vote on the Supreme Court prior to Election Day by the Senate? Uh, yes, I am. Um, but, you know, if the tables were turned, I'm and, and the... Uh, like it was before with a Democrat president and a Republican Senate, then I'm fine with the decision they make then too, because here's, here's the deal. When you look at it, we have a set of rules and laws. Now we have seen massively how over the summer, those have been broken by just not rioters and looters, but even aggressive governors who want to impose edicts from on high that are just guidelines and call them laws. Uh, but you've seen a lot of lawlessness going on. If we all judge each other by our constitution, our laws, then then there is no then the arguments is moot, right? The the president can nominate, the Senate can decide to uh, to agree to it, to agree to hold hearings, to agree to have the person seated as a judge or not. That is the rule. So it, it, you know, it, the, the Senate can do what the Senate wants to do. The president can do what the president wants to do. Those are the rules. It just so happens that they both happen to be in Republican hands at the moment. So the Republicans get to decide. That's why elections are important. Who you elect actually matters, and it does have consequences. I don't see why this is such a big discussion about, well, we set precedents here, and we set precedents there, and there's this Biden rule. It doesn't matter. The Constitution rule is that the president nominates and the Senate confirms. And that's that's just, they, they're going to decide. So, uh, Bruno Berend, uh, I'm going to bring him into the conversation because one topic that I know is near and dear to his heart, and I believe that it's near and dear to your heart as well, but I want him to uh, frame the question for us, and that is the issue of, of, of choice uh, for uh, education, pro-choice for education. And I'm wondering uh, to what extent uh, do you think Congress has a role to play, if at all, uh, that uh, Jeannie Ives uh, could weigh in on? Well, obviously, um, we want education policy to be made as close to home as possible, uh, preferably in the home uh, and at the closest uh, to the to the voters. So I, the last big federal thing that happened was Common Core, which is, again, proven to be a complete disaster, uh, as all large, giant reforms are in terms of being a waste of money with lower test scores. Um, so... As far as what Congress can do, I think the easiest thing would be for them to get out of the way or possibly, and I know that they've spoken about this a little bit, is, and, and this is one thing that has been uh, bandied about on the Republican side, is to give kids vouchers if they're, if they're going to a failing school. So your state won't allow vouchers or your city won't allow vouchers, fine. You get a federal one. If if your school's failing, here's some money. You can go to a school of your choice. Um, it's very, very hard to pr produce a law like that and actually have it work effectively from the federal level. So the less the federal government does, 
the better in in uh, these instances would be uh, my view on that. Do you agree with that, Jeannie? I, I 100% agree. I, I also think that it's interesting during COVID that you have a number of uh, educational institutions that are going full remote. This does not serve the students well. I've interviewed uh, metal, mental health experts, medical experts. They all say kids need to be in school. And so I know there's some discussion about if you're going to keep your kids shut out of school, that they possibly should take some of this federal money as well and be able to choose a different school of their choice. Uh, around me, the private schools are open and they are operating just fine. When we come back, one of the other issues that is being uh, discussed in this campaign, and I know it's near and dear uh, to your heart, Mark Costello, I want to bring it up, and that is the issue of systemic racism. Does it really exist, and how important is that issue for Democrats running in November, both for president and members of Congress? Back shortly. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Come on back. We continue with another segment of Beyond the Beltway. And uh, the Democrats, uh, as they make their case to the American people, seem to be uh, focused in many cases on making the case to the American voter that uh, Americans are systemically racist and the country is systemically racist. Now, Mark Casello, have I overstated your position, but you basically agree with that? framed it that the that the democrats are saying that the american people are racist and i i would sort of disagree with that that characterization so the people are not but um, the country is yeah i i don't know if that's exactly how it's being characterized but the fact is i, I think bruce you, you know you and i have gone back years on this issue and i think you would agree that there there is certainly inequity between the way african americans um are treated in our judicial system, in mass incarceration, in education. Now, mm -hmm. the sources of that is what fuels a lot of the debate on Beyond the Beltway. Mm -hmm. Is that a matter of personal responsibility? Is it an inequity of opportunity? Um, you know, as a professor, I teach students from diverse backgrounds. And, um, and I can just say that uh, the number one factor really affecting students coming in is the, pro the economic prosperity of their family. Mm -hmm. um, if you can improve that situation, the education comes with it. The parents want the students to do well. We place a lot of blame on the teachers, on the curriculum, but I, but I think in the end, we have to find ways to bring prosperity to the families. Um, but uh, I want to see some leadership from the Democratic Party. Um, if there is systemic racism, as, as it seems evident to everyone who's looking, uh, many people who are looking anyway, um, 
is there a legislative way out of that? I don't know how you legislate your way out of um, a, a racism, let's, a racist undercurrent. Let's let's turn to Jeannie Ives. Jeannie, I want to get your reaction to whether or not you think the country uh, is systemically racist and uh, pick up on what Mark suggested, uh, that maybe there's some legislation that needs to make its way through Congress. Well, I really liked what I heard from Mark because he is focusing on institutions that at their core, you don't want to believe are systemically racist. You want them to reform themselves. You want to give kids opportunity. I know he mentioned education specifically. Now, I would make an argument, and we just talked about school choice. I mean, I would make an argument that there are places where the schools do not work for those in poverty, and they're, they're not getting the best education they can, and that having systems that don't educate the kids well, passing them along, for example, uh, grade inflation, for example, not holding them to hard, hard standards, I think that's a problem. Uh, those minority communities tend to get a lot more support. I'm going to be honest with you. I know a lot the education budget in the state of Illinois. They get a lot more support, but they may need. Uh, we need to reinvent them. We need to. We need stricter standards uh, to 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 bring these kids along and and to help their parents along. I think it's a shame that you had actually you had reports that during the remote shutdown when people were handed out Chromebooks and computers, some of the parents went and sold those. It's just another reason that you need to have your kids in school because schools have become an oversight area to help kids along. Uh, but this is a big topic. I can't give it justice in eight minutes, but I would okay. say that America as a whole has gone a long ways from not being racist. We, we, we don't agree with that. It's really probably the worst name you can call anybody these days is a racist and, and, and nobody, everybody wants to give people a hand up. Eric Cohen, you went away in. Yeah, so I, I think a lot of the claims that we see from a lot of the more radical voices about systemic racism are very overwrought and overmade, but I find it helps to put it in a context that I think one could understand systemic racism. I grew up across the river from St. Louis, and if you look at the history of the way St. Louis County has come to exist, it's about a million people now in total, and there are about 104 different municipalities. And here in Cook County, there's, uh, by orders of magnitude, I think there's somewhere around 4 million people, and there are about 50 municipalities. The way that came to be is people moved out of the city center. They would move to an area. They would zone it off. It was just a neighborhood oftentimes, and there would be no multifamily occupancy housing to keep. Um, this is when white flight is starting in the 50s. Uh, and as soon as the uh, upwardly mobile black families would move in, they would move further out, they would do the same thing. Now you have these tiny municipalities. Ferguson is an example of this, where the only interactions, because there's no property tax base, there's no sales tax base, they get most of their money from police enforcements. And the police enforcements that happen there are disproportionately affecting the black populations of those areas. That's a case where I think the idea of systemic racism is comprehensible, And I wish more people would make cases like that rather than these blanket allegations of the whole country systemically racist that just get people to turn away and not want to listen to what anyone has to say. Bruno. Um, yeah, that's a, a that's a very, very good point, which I've made many times in my discussions with this stuff, too, especially the St. Louis and Ferguson. Uh, I will say this, and this is this is where I get to use one of my sound bites. There is nothing in this country more systemically racist than a school district that you can move into a place where you can keep other people out simply by the the steepness of the property taxes and the nice the niceness of the homes 
there is there is nothing more systemically racist than that. And what's very interesting, I've heard all kinds of liberals argue disparate impact when it comes to like you've got a company and and some people don't rise as fast as other people. And disparate impact is a very very interesting doctrine. I tend to lean against it, but if you look at the education policy in this country, nothing should be more gutted. Nothing should be more ripped out by the roots reformed than education simply based upon disparate impact doctrine uh, if if you really start looking at it. So I think, you know, it's it's very easy for conservatives, and I'll use my conservative audience that I have on Facebook. You know, you say something about systemic racism or white privilege, and the conservatives just go nuts. Their heads explode, and they act like you're a Black Lives Matter Marxist or something. And I just keep on trying to tell them. It's like, no, take a step outside and look at this stuff the way it really operates, and you can kind of see where the disadvantaged community, the black community in particular, has a legitimate beef. And here's an idea. If you listen to them and talk to them about it, you might just get their vote if you do something about it. And that's where we should be in this country and having these discussions. Jeannie, to what extent does the does the discussion of race in the country, um, to what extent should that conversation maybe originate not from uh, the poor black community, but maybe from the affluent white community? Or, or will, will the African-Americans not listen to a discussion that begins, let's say, in, in suburbia, in Wheaton, Illinois? Well, listen, we have school districts here uh, piecing together Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter videos of various teachers, um, uh, um, uh, white students, whatever, basically at the after the George Floyd Institute and uh, incident, essentially making sure that nobody thinks that they're racist and that they stand for BLM. Uh, and yet, school districts put that out, and then they got in trouble actually because they put out links that also linked to political sites based off BLM, which was right. wrong. Uh, but this is the deal: you already have people that are white. Uh, essentially sounding the alarm, making sure that people don't think that they're racist. Like I said, it's the worst name you can call somebody. And, and so uh, they, they are they are embracing this um, uh, already, to be quite honest. And, and I think that, um, you know, people need to reflect on how they run their business, how they run their individual lives, how do they raise their kids. Uh, you see individual incidents of racism. I'm sure that that's, that does exist. But there's, uh, I think systemic racism gets thrown around an awful lot. If you give me one more minute, let me tell you why I think sure. that. Go ahead. Okay. Um, nine West Point graduates from the classes of 18 and 19, seven of who won scholarships, postgraduate scholarships to Rhodes and Marshall scholarships. Nine of them wrote a 40-page manifesto saying that West Point is systemically racist. And some of their demands were safe spaces, for minority cadets, of course, changing the names like Lee Barracks, where I spent three of my four years. And then on top of it, there are four top officials, a three-star who is a black man. He's the head of all of West Point, a one-star dean, a one-star commandant, and a one-star brigade tactical officer. The, the One of the requests from these woke graduates was that those three white top uh, officers write personal apology statements for their whiteness. And yet these were, these cadets had special, uh, they were specially tracked to win these scholarships. I know that because my son was on that track, all right? 
they were given special attention, yet they say that West Point is systemically racist. That's where it's got to stop. I mean, this is nonsense. If you can't pass the indoor obstacle course, guess what? You fail. If you can't find all your points on the land nav course in the, a lot of time, you don't win. You don't fail. You fail. It's what? the most egalitarian, objective grading system I've ever been a part of. Now, Mark, the, the, the president uh, recently uh, went after uh, teaching and the teaching of uh, what he described as anti-American uh, curriculum in, in, in colleges and universities. And uh, he didn't get into high schools, but primarily colleges. Uh, I, I know you don't agree that exists, but do you understand how a conservative can believe that? Well, I, I understand that um, in critiquing America, you can lose sight of the good qualities about America. So I understand where conservatives might might say, hey, there's a narrative that's being told that's sort of obscuring the great things America has accomplished. Would you there's agree that college America. professors tend to perpetuate that belief? I don't know. I, you know, in my experience, I, there, there are many conservative professors and colleagues that I have. And, uh, you know, some of my favorite professors as an undergraduate were conservative. Um, and, uh, so, so I, I do think, and, and people are patriotic. Um, but just cause you're critiquing a country doesn't mean you're not patriotic. In fact, of course, you know, if those the most vociferously uh, critical of the country are often very patriotic. So I, I think, you know, while a particular curriculum that President Trump doesn't like, the, the project uh, about um, slavery from the New York Times, um, I think it's an important. We don't talk enough about the legacy of slavery. Mark, this is a multi-generational trauma I have to, that's still I've got to interrupt. leaving an impact. I've got to mm -hmm. interrupt because we're going to a break. When we come back, I want to hear from our libertarians in the studio about uh, maybe some changes uh, in academia. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Bruce Dumont back. It's Beyond the Beltway. It's Sunday night. Nice to have you with us from coast to coast and border to border around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. Don't uh, forget that uh, if you ever miss this show, there, you, there's no such thing as missing this show because if you go to beyondthebeltway.com or you go to YouTube or you go to uh, Facebook Live, I mean, we're there. We're like, uh, you can't get rid of us. I mean... Uh, what you're listening to right now is the new show for this week. Uh, and again, obviously, the audio version uh, plays uh, on Spotify and uh, all the other uh, audio devices that are out there to collect it and save it forever. Uh, let us let all of our guests introduce themselves. And we're going to begin with uh, Jeannie Ives. Jeannie, tell everybody who you are and uh, what's the most important thing in your life at the moment. 
Well, I'm running for Congress in Illinois 6th Congressional District, and we've got 37 days left to uh, get our get our message out. So that's really important. I'm a West Point graduate, a military mom, and a mother of five. And also, I should say, for those listening around the country, uh, if Jeannie Ives did get elected, she would probably become one of the, uh, quickly, I think she would become one of the more well-known members of the House of Representatives because she's very articulate for her conservative cause. And we should mention that we have invited your Democratic opponent, uh, Sean Caston, to be a guest on this program. We've left several messages for him personally and also through the campaign. And we would hopefully uh, give him the opportunity, as we've given you, uh, to share your thoughts and opinions with our audience. Mark Casello, tell everybody a little bit about your background. Sure. I'm Mark Casello. I'm the Director of English and Media Communications at Calumet College of St. Joseph in Whiting, Indiana. And uh, I'm also involved in historic preservation in Chicago's Pullman National Monument. And Eric Cohen in studio with us. Along with uh, Joe Kaiser, I host Sources with Knowledge on uh, News Talk 560. The Answer airs Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. and then again Sunday at 3 p.m. You can search Sources with Knowledge on any place you go to find find podcasts and my day job, I am the director of communications for the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. Bruno Berend. Uh, my name is Bruno Berend. I'm uh, with the Heartland Institute. I'm the senior fellow on education issues, uh, focusing primarily on education reform. And when I'm not doing something on education reform, I'm actually flipping houses for Jesus through my church, where we're trying to flip a town from uh, mostly rental to mostly ownership and uh, bring back a um, sense of a social network. Flip a town for Jesus. That sounds like I it like should that. be on HGTV. Yeah. Flip, yeah, it should, but you know, I don't know if HGTV or, would go go for that. EWTN well, at know. least. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, let's uh, go to calls. Bonnie in uh, Crown Point, Indiana, is calling us. Uh, she's a regular listener to this program. And Bonnie, what uh, words of wisdom do you have for our panel this evening? Well, I'm I'm a little confused. I've heard the phrase the phrase. Systemic racism and yeah. institutional racism, and mm-hmm. I'm—I think they're kind of the same. Um, so when you talk about schools, for example, um, I think that when you have failing public schools, um, you know the Republicans, the conservatives talk about giving school choice and getting kids out of crappy failing public schools that are, you know, local schools. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's also that thing, the support from home. Um, My mother is a many, many year retired uh, state public school teacher. She taught in Oak Park River Forest. And um, she she remembers having African-American students who had, you know, their mothers worked very hard to move over the border into Oak Park so that their kids could attend the Oak Park schools. And she would remember that, you know, a kid would be working really hard, and then one of his classmates would say, hey, you're acting white, you know. Mm -hmm. So part of that's cultural. Part of that has to do with, you know, a lack of support from home. Part of that has to do with failing public schools, which, you know, the Democrats are all about public schools. Um, and, And so, you know, so there's that. And then if you talk about the institutional racism, I mean, what institutions do we have? We got Hollywood. That's, you know, liberal Democrat. You've got sports. That's liberal Democrat. You've got the media. That's liberal Democrat. So exactly if, if all the institutions are liberal Democrat, 
Well, there, there's your institutional racism right there, no? Mark Casello, uh, speak to Bonnie's point and uh, how with how with all of those institutions that Bonnie has identified as liberal Democrat, how can they possibly have a conversation about race if they want it to be a monologue, not a dialogue? Well, so Bonnie's calling from Crown Point, Indiana, and and people around the nation who aren't familiar with the area. That's a good example of uh, what Bruno was speaking to about the the disproportionate funding of education. Um, Crown Point, Indiana is just down the road from Gary, Indiana. And uh, the property tax base of Gary had been depleted as, as businesses and economic activity and residents fled from Gary as it became predominantly African-American and as the steel mills closed down. And Lake County, Southern Lake County, um, got resources that Gary, Indiana to this day doesn't have. And so there's an example where that would be what I would consider systemic racism through the property tax-based funding of education in that county. I would disagree that the media wholeheartedly is or whole cloth is is liberal. Uh, I certainly uh, grew up listening to Bruce and, uh, and other uh, moderate pundits and conservative pundits on the radio. Uh, Rush Limbaugh has been broadcasting very successfully, probably one of the most successful broadcasters for decades. So mm-hmm. um, I don't think we can you know, cast with a broad brush. And, and yes, Hollywood certainly um, you know, is in an ivory tower of its own um, in the same way that academia but can if sometimes me, but if be. But me, if media, thank <clears throat> you very much for your comment, but if, if media wanted to lead such a discussion and, and, and they want to keep off the table. They want to keep off, keep off some of the cultural things that Bonnie referenced. They, they don't want to bring those things up because um, some African-Americans might be offended by part of the conversation. They may not want to acknowledge a portion of the things that Bonnie has referenced. And so uh, uh, their voice is, is not heard. How, how real is that conversation? Well, I would say let the African-American community lead that conversation. Um, you know, so often it comes from a, a, a reporter who's outside the community, who's outside um, coming in and, and um, speaking to these issues. But let's, let's have a conversation. Let, let's let the African-American community lead a discussion, um, which they've been trying to do. But so often it gets reduced to sound bites and um, conflict and, and um, heartbreak. Um, but I, I think, you know, the African-American people I know, they just simply call it the struggle. Um, this is the struggle. And they, it's a fact of their isn't, life. Isn't part of the discussion, I want, I want to ask Jeannie about this point, bring her into the conversation. That's why I get back to, you know, what, what suburban input is there in that? I mean, another part of the diversity that, that I would like to see is, you know, it's just in recent years that there's a, there's a diversity of thought. Uh, articulated in the media uh, by African-Americans. I mean, you, you see a number of conservative Republican African-Americans that, that appear on, on, on television. Most of them are on Fox. There's no question about it. But at least they're there. You never heard, you never, you would never hear those conversations on any of the big three networks, ever. Jeannie, your, your, your thought on that. No, you're absolutely right. And I know you've had a good friend of mine who is actually helping my campaign, Stephanie Trussell. She's a a great conservative black voice uh, in the Chicago media market, mm-hmm. but she's really usually on AM 560 or, or something like that. She does not get any, she doesn't get the, the plum spots to come in and represent the, the black view, the black conservative view on any of the big network stations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is, it is interesting. Um, 
but I, I tell you what, I think this 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 election is going to be really interesting to see where the black vote goes because I think that I, I've seen a whole lot of people walking away from the Democrat Party. Many of them are black uh, Americans who have had enough, and they've they've seen what's happened to Chicago, particularly, and and they want a new way. Bruno Barron said earlier in the program that he believes that uh, one of the uh, one of the side effects of an election, if Joe Biden wins. He believes that the radical left, which have really been taking over a lot of streets and have led to some street demonstrations and violence, that he thinks that they will move their venue to the suburbs. Uh, since most, uh, since your district includes virtually all of suburbia, what is your take on, on, the, on the involvement uh, of perhaps uh, violence or, or violent demonstrations uh, emerging and, and heading towards uh, your neck of the woods, Jeannie? Well, I'll be honest with you. If, if they want to try that that game here in the suburbs, at least with our current uh, state's attorney and prosecutors and our, our, and our local police fo- force, they will be shut down. We will not tolerate it. We will not have a revolving door like Kim Fox has in Cook County uh, that, that just lets offenders off. Uh, we're going. I, I would suggest we're going to take the Ron DeSantis approach and basically slap on charges that are going to stick and put them in jail. In fact, this did, you know, in, in terms of just general crime here where I live in the suburbs, we prosecute the client crime, we put them in jail, we give them a high enough bail that, especially if it's a serious armed offense, we're not letting them out. Uh, and But just a mile from my house, there was an armed home invasion. Uh, just, uh, you know, not that far away, there was a um, armed carjacking. So it is happening. The crime from Cook County in Chicago has seeped over into the, the suburbs, but we have not seen, you know, we've had some little looting and rioting in Naperville, very little, that got tamped down. And I think if they want to bring their game to the suburbs, I think here in the suburbs where I live, we're not going to take it. Eric Cohn, do you think that law and order is going to emerge as a, as maybe a deciding factor with a lot of people in the closing month of the campaign? I don't think so. And what I think is interesting about that is uh, the Washington Post poll, and there was one other, showed that uh, Joe Biden was outpacing Donald Trump on the law and order argument by by about 10 points. Uh, So the whole idea to make this about law and order from the Trump campaign side does not seem to be resonating. Uh, Again, we've got 30-some days to go. We'll have to see what happens, but I don't see it really resonating at this point. I want to hear Bruno's response when we come back. I'm Bruce Dumont, 1-800-723-8289 from coast to coast and border to border. One more segment, and we've got some callers on the line. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. 
Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. That's happening. Bruce Dumont back. Uh, pick up on that conversation, guys, you were having during the break. It was a good one. Bruno. Well, so basically, Eric and I have this disagreement, and you know, we, we have a very, very similar viewpoint on Donald Trump, probably. Very, very similar viewpoint on the fact that America needs to find a way to come together again, or at least talk to each other again. Um, my beef is with the viewpoint that says that, oh, well, Donald Trump is so horrible that we have to get rid of them, with it, while ignoring the stuff that's going on on the other side of the aisle. And the, what's going on on the other side of the aisle, and I kind of wanted to get into this, and it, I don't want to get too arcane, but if you want to find out more about it, you can go to a website called newdiscourses.com by um, uh, James Lindsay, or just look up James Lindsay and his conversation with uh, Joe Rogan. Um, we have what has happened and uh, what's been going on in this country. We have a takeover of all the institutions. And the caller previously mentioned about the news, the sports, the corporations. We live in a country where you could be sitting on a Zoom call with your corporation and you could say, well, I think all lives matter. And you're fired. Now, I can discuss the beef about whether you want to say black lives matter or all lives matter. I've told my conservative friends there's nothing wrong with saying black lives matter. It isn't a Marxist comment or anything like that. But if you live in a country where your corporation can simply fire you because of a a, like it literally a psychological fever that is going on in this country right now, and you're seeing it in sports, and you're seeing it in academia, and you're seeing it everywhere, that the moment you live in a country like that, where you can laugh all you want, you can say it's being uh, catastrophic or, or hyperbolic, we are on the border of a, a, a social miasma. We are, v- and if you look at the left, the, they are much closer to the Jacobins of the French Revolution, and they are much closer to the Maduros and the Hugo Chavez's of the world in terms of policy than they ever have been anywhere near Barack Obama. So Joe Biden's first term isn't going to be Barack Obama's third term. It is going to be uh, AOC's or Hugo Chavez's first term. This is where their policy is going. All right. I want to let Eric respond, and then I know Mark's got to find a call. The, the idea of Joe Biden as the ultimate bank shot when they could have put a Bernie Sanders who actually believes all of these things is a really interesting theory. There's no but, difference but, in the there's no difference at all in the in the in the pro, in the in the uh, platform. That's isn't, laughable. But, folks, um, isn't it Bernie Sanders supporters? Aren't they a lot of the people that are in the streets? But my my point with Bruno, it, what we were talking about uh, before we came back on the air, is that my problem with the Trump law and order message is that you know you see this meme with Amy Coney Barrett's lovely family, and this is Trump's America, and then all of these Antifa protesters, and this is Biden's America. Well, no, that's Trump's America too. It's happening while Donald Trump is president, and you know we can point out all of these horribles of the left, and it, it plays out like the same conversation I had over and over again in 2016, where people would give these diagnoses of all of these problems that we have, and they get to the therefore. Trump fallacy. Therefore, Donald Trump should be president of the United States. And that does not yeah, follow from it, 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 right, I'm going to go to Jeannie. I'm going to go to Jeannie Ives. Let her weigh in on this. Uh, Eric right. has just suggested that a lot of the bad things that are happening in some of these uh, cities like Portland and, and, and Seattle, I mean, uh, Donald Trump is still the president of the United States and uh, they're happening. Oh, yeah, I know. And all those places are run by Democrats. And, and at least uh, Donald Trump understands federalism and says, you know, I'm, I'm offering my support, but you have to invite me in because that's what federalism is about. Would it, uh, would it be, do you think it would be, do you, do you think it would be, Janie, do you think it would be different after Election Day? Would Donald Trump I, have a different interpretation of what you've said is federalism if he wins re-election 
will these uh, de- rioting, will, will it still go on in Portland or Seattle, or will those uh, folks realize that uh, uh, the jig is up and they're about to get their heads smashed in? Well, I, I guess it really depends on how big of a victory he, he, he gets. Uh, I think that that's the biggest decision. I, I think that the rioting will still continue. I think the left is unhinged at this point. I think that there's been no, I mean, every single Democrat refused to condemn the defund the police movement. That's where we are in Congress, okay? And and I'm not okay with that, and neither are most other people. Law and order is a big issue, I will tell you that, as somebody who is actively campaigning and hears from it from the grassroots. So in the suburbs, it is an issue. Uh, and and it, here's, you know, I think that federalism still stands. These Democrat cities will be run by Democrats, and uh, the lawlessness will continue. Uh, but I would think that there should, I, I have said here, job number one is to restore law and order across the nation. It is so important. So how, to, how do you, how do you do yeah, that yeah, if Donald Trump is this federalist that. That, that won't, he'll only go in if he's invited. They're not inviting him in. So how is that done? Uh, well, there, uh, I can answer that. I go, can answer that. Go for go it. Ahead, Let's actually bring justice. Let's talk about the issues. Let's advent, let's solve this problem. Um, to, to Bruno's point, I don't disagree with him that things may have swung too far where, you know, it's much easier to attack somebody for their political speech than to unravel this problem we're facing as a culture and as a nation. But there is a real problem here. And so the question isn't how many, when are we going to send in the National Guard to break skulls? The question is, when are we going to bring justice? When are we going to uh, realize that militarizing the police is maybe not the way to go? I don't think the libertarians in this group favor militarized police forces in our streets. Um, martial law. We don't want that kind of civilization. And I think you get there. These are, this is good trouble, as John Lewis said, or, or, or Reverend Vernon Johns. When you see a good what's fight, the ha- get in what's, it. What is These the ha- people well, are in the, the ha- street, but what's the happy and they have ending? a legitimate demand. Mark, what's the happy ending in, in Portland, Oregon, and in, in Seattle? The, what the, is the happy well, ending? The happy ending is, as a nation, we start addressing this, maybe with a, a, a congressional committee so, can, on a police violence. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This is is presupposing that this is a problem across the nation. It's just not true. It is a problem primarily in Democrat cities where they don't have the proper justice uh, policing going on or justice being meted out. That is the problem here. And to to basically... How how many more people have to die before it's a national issue? You are impugning the rest of the nation for, for really places run by Democrats and have been... We are all in this nation together, Jeannie. You and I are in the same communities. They're American cities, not Democrat cities. We should be a little more careful about that. Uh, This is what the Democrats want to do when they get in office. They would like to federalize every single decision because they know it's easier to control one half of 535 legislators and make make everything a federal issue uh, rather than federalism. On that that moment, Jeannie, we are out of time. Jeannie Ives, she is a congressional candidate in Illinois' 6th congressional district. She is a Republican running against Sean Caston. Also with us this evening, we've had Mark Casello, and we've had in studio Bruno Barrand and Eric Cohn. I'm Bruce Dumont. Our thanks to Andy Miles for his assistance in the production of this program. Until next week, good night from Evanston, Illinois. What is hope? Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back. I wish she'd stop drinking so much. She thinks it's helping, but it's not. 
I hope she sees that soon. I act like I don't care if he comes to my games. But I hope he does. I used to hope he'd find happiness again. Now I hope our marriage makes it. I hope Grandpa will get help. He thinks it's too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. I just want my brother back. I hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride. Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours, that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling. We have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership.